0: As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norton Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. Investment Advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. Well, thanks as always to the Norden Group. It's been two weeks since you guys have heard my voice. Hopefully that was enough of a break. I am back from Europe. I am a married man, and Dan is in Pennsylvania, so we found the closest Dan substitute that we could. Uh, We're going to be substituting two cups of Andrew for our Dan today. Am I supposed to say something to that? (laughs) I don't know. Andrew's never been on the podcast before. I don't even know if Andrew really listens to the podcast, so this will be a good and fun experience. Andrew, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Uh, I'm Andrew Draper. I'm uh, Joseph the Younger, um, the third Draper boy. He's the he's and,
0: the, the third Draper spawn?
1: Yes. Yes. And uh, I also ride bikes. I've how how been,
0: long have you been riding bikes now, Andrew? Oh,
1: geez. Um, Probably
0: about as long as I have, huh? We, we got yeah, into it about the same time.
1: Except I was... I was a smaller man. And uh, we also have another guest with us today, Rusty. You want to say hi?
0: Don't let him chew the couch. Mom didn't like that. Uh, the Draper family picked up a, a, a tr- hopefully a future trail dog, but we'll see how that goes. So if you hear some whining in the background or if we lose Andrew temporarily it's because we're trying to make him stop eating our microphones so
1: he's chewing on me right now
0: so yeah with all that being said um uh I I have to start really quick with uh, Crusher and the Tusher mm-hmm. big big fat race 70 miles and how many feet of climbing a lot it's it's, it's well over 10,000 I'm, I'm gonna say you know and it, the race is you know I'm mean, probably starting at 9,000 feet you know one of maybe the hardest race in the U.S. You could, you could argue it's the hardest day of bike racing you can do in, in the United States right now. What's up there. Um, uh, we had at least four Maybird uh, folks representing at Crusher. We had, we had Bo, we had Jamie Kent, we had uh, Gabe Norda, and Rex Heaton. There may have been others. Those are the ones that I'm aware of right now. Huge chapeau to those guys. Andrew, did you grab stats for that? See how much climbing uh, Crusher see. is?
1: This year it was a little over 10K even 70 miles, and the winning time was a little below four hours. So
0: Keegan Swenson, who is undefeated on the Lifetime Grand Prix this year, going under four hours at Crusher. That is, if you've done it before, if you've ridden the course, you'll know that's crazy. Like, going under six hours means you're a really, really, really good bike rider. Uh, Keegan managed to go under four. Go check out his his Strava ride up Keegan's... uh, uh, not the only uh, winner from the weekend, though. Uh, Sophia also, Keegan and Sophia are just on a rampage this year. They're basically unbeatable. And you rode with Keegan and Sophia a couple years ago, and that, I think you've told me that stands out in your mind as, like, your hardest day on the bike ever, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was one of them. And uh, he was just talking the whole time, which made me feel kind of bad. Yeah.
0: They're, they're real freak shows. So yeah. shout out to them. Shout out to the Maverick folks. I mean, shout out to everyone who did it. That's... That's an insane, insane event. I don't yeah. know if I'd ever want to do that. Uh, really quick, some bike uh, world news to run over. Uh, women's Giro d'Italia, Anamik van Vluten wrapped it up. She's retiring this year, so it's cool to see her notching up wins at the top. Um, in tour news, um, I guess the most relevant thing is that Vingegaard's taken the yellow jersey, holds a decent lead on Pogacar, um, but Poggy's sitting back. He's hitting back. Took a few more seconds today. Big shout out to uh, Mike Woods in Canada um, for the stage win today. But the big sad news this week is Cavendish. Andrew, have you read about this? I have not
1: followed the tour at all.
0: Seen around. So Mark Cavendish, greatest sprinter of all time, currently tied with Eddie Merckx for the most stage wins at the tour. Has 35, got his 35th stage win um, uh, last year, I believe. Came back this year, he wins one more stage of the tour, and he has the all-time tour stage win record, which will never be broken again. Um, and uh, came super, super close a couple days ago, and then the next day crashed out. Sounds like a broken collarbone. Um, It sounds like it's probably the end of the line for Cavendish, but his team manager did say today he'd take him back for another year to go for the record. So, super bummed about Cav. Um, But Andrew, as you, you, you know or not, I don't know how much you listen to the podcast, if at all. Nope. Okay, well, then you don't know that every week I give Dan a quiz, and so I'm going to give you a quiz today that plays to your strengths, but it is tricky, okay? Uh-huh. Really quick, I want you to give us your, your bike world credentials, because they will be relevant for today's topic.
1: I've uh, worked um, for a little while at Contender Bicycles in Salt Lake City, um, spent, uh, spent some time in sales, and I am currently service riding, so... Uh, Every time a bike comes in broken, I know which bikes come in broken.
0: Yeah. So a- Andrew, Andrew's time in the bike industry is much less than mine, but in that short time, he has amassed—I I don't know—like a, a mental Rolodex that I do actually um, admire. You are one of the few people who I will talk about bikes with seriously. So I don't always agree with you. I think you're an idiot and that you're wrong all the time. But you do know a lot, so I think you'll be useful for today's topic. It takes one. But, to no one. Well, there you go. Um, I do have a quiz for you. Oh, geez. So, and your first question is this. So right now there are two different major electric automatic suspension adjustment systems, which are?
1: You got Live Valve and you got Flight Attendant. Right.
0: Live Valve, Fox Product, uh, Flight Attendant, uh, RockShox Product. There's also Brain, but that's been around since the year 2000. and it It's also not electronic. Know. Not electronic. Um, but those two are not the first electronic suspension lockout, pro- um, uh, product. Back in 2007, RockShox began development on an automatically locking suspension system that debuted in 2012 with only one brand, and to my knowledge, on only one bike. What brand? I actually don't know. 2012. I remember reading a Mountain Bike Action article about this. Take, take Do you want to take a guess?
1: Then I should probably know. Um...
0: Hmm, it's French. Mm-mm.
1: That's not helpful.
0: Not really, no. no. This is a bike brand we did not get in the United States. This was a Euro-only product. Yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 no clue. No So La-Pierre, LaPierre, back in really? 2012, you could buy a LaPierre that had basically an extremely rudimentary version of live valve. It's got interesting cool. stuff. Yeah, didn't do very well. I don't think anybody ever bought it, but... Uh, it was around. Here's another one for you. Uh, envy has provided Tade Pogacar with an as of yet unreleased product that is currently on his bike at the tour. What is it?
1: I would know if I watched the tour. Let me see if I can pull up pictures on Instagram. <laughs>
0: think, think, think. I'll give you a hint. It's not wheels. His team is, is totally Envy sponsored right now, so his bike is going to be covered in Envy bits. You, you pulling up a bike picture?
1: I am, because I haven't been watching the tour at all. Um, I know, you've
0: taken great pains to tell everyone several times.
1: Is that a one-piece bar stem? Yes,
0: it is. Yeah, a one-piece bar stem, which Envy has not done. Um, they've done cockpit stuff oh. for a long, long time. But um, to my knowledge, am I wrong?
1: You ever look closer at uh, some of Cannondale Factory's pictures?
0: Oh, interesting. For the mountain bike, I guess they have done a mountain bike one-piece bar stem they before, huh? They have sold
1: it ever, but... But
0: they have done it.
1: It's it's out there. Can but you I, buy I think it? So. I don't I haven't seen anywhere too.
0: Interesting. What are your thoughts on one piece bar stems?
1: One piece bar stems. <clears throat> if I were if I never had to pay MSRP for my bike parts. Okay. And there was a one piece bar stem that was designed for me perfectly for the geometry I'd prefer. That would be really cool and I would love it.
0: So, fit and geometry-wise, as long as it was the perfect size, you'd like it. Exactly. But the practical problem is, if you're not the perfect size, you're kind of locked into your stem length, at least. Yeah. No adjustability, um, no... And you can't, like, adjust to like, the... Like, you can't twist your bars either to adjust, like, you know, kind of where the sweep's meeting your hands and stuff.
1: As um, a cyclist who also enjoys snowboarding, I frequently find myself tweaking my fit due yeah. to wrist injuries and shoulder injuries. Um so it's nice to just be able to
0: So you're you're not yeah. in a rush to have one piece bar stems on your bikes. Not really. No. Not really. On a road bike I get it though. I've also found that like the stiffness can be a little a little overkill. I don't think I'd want it to, maybe on a road bike like you said. Yeah. On a mountain bike I'm a, uh, I'm a little I'm, I'm I'm a little weary of that. But it looks cool. It is out there. And the final question for you is Red Bull is developing a new aero bike with which brand? You carry this brand a contender, it, I should say. It's really this brand developing it with Red Bull, but the hook's better if I say Red Bull is developing a new bike. It's an Aero road bike. Is it BMC? It is BMC. Oh, yeah. Nice. So the new Time Machine, and it looks wild. It's you know how BMCs usually kind of have that like industrial straight lines, yeah, sort yeah. of. It's kind of curvy.
1: Curvy BMC. A
0: slightly curvy BMC. Yeah. Unheard of. It's it's a weird look, but. Um, uh, should be pretty good. Ben O'Connor is riding it with you uh, Desire at the tour. Um, it looks interesting. You should pull up pictures. But, um, but yeah, that's pretty good, Andrew. So I'll give you I'll give you two uh, two out of three, sixty six point six percent. Correct. Yeah, I don't um, know anything
1: about the first one at all.
0: Interesting though. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if anybody like bought that and then just like never had support for it like ever. Supposedly it was pretty decent. Like you know, Bike Radar did a review on it where they said it was pretty okay. So yeah. Um, today's topic though is bikey and it's one that I'm glad I'm doing with you and not Dan because Dan bless his heart only cares about the parts of cycling that matter. And you and I are a little more tuned into the, the parts of cycling that are fun, which is spending money, right? Yes. Um, and there are a few times every year where people will come to me and they'll say, Oh, Joe, what bike should I buy? I'm ready for a new bike, Joe. And it's usually at the beginning of the season when the trails start to dry. And then there's another rush kind of throughout the Nike season. Cause what happens is the really dedicated riders are researching bikes all winter when the trails start to dry, like, oh, okay, time to go get the new bike. And then there's some other riders who are like, maybe did the first half of the season on their old bike or didn't get into biking until the Nike season started anyway. And they're realizing that their bike from last year isn't going to cut it or they just want something new. So around this time of year, I, I also kind of get a rush of people hitting me up and saying, Joe, what bike should I buy? And that's a question that I kind of like like when people ask you that question, it's sort of a tricky one. Yes. Right. Because yes. what what is the answer to what bike should I buy? It depends. It depends, right? It depends on a million different things. Um, and it used to be if you go back ten years to when we got into this in 2013, 2014, if you said, hey, I want a cross country bike, you went to the local bike shop and bought an Epic, a Spark, or a Scalpel. Yeah. And like that's all she wrote. Like what else were people even riding back then? Like
1: a uh, a. Uh, Scale,
0: uh, right, hardtail
1: or a stump jumper hardtail. Basically,
0: yeah. Um, and in, in the past ten years, we've had this explosion with like down country bikes and cross country bikes that aren't for racing, um, and and the kind of like proliferation of basically short travel trail bikes being ridden by people wearing Lycra, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and Andrew and I were talking earlier today. And I think, and you can push back on me if you want, I think that there are really three classes of cross-country bikes today. Because it used to be, I'd say to people, well, it's not just cross-country bikes anymore. Now you have down-country bikes. But I don't even think the cross-country-down-country dichotomy covers it very well anymore. Mm-hmm. I really think that there are three different classes of bikes. Um, and we're going to walk you through them. I, in my mind, there are, I will call them class one bikes, which are race-only, just designed to go fast, race day tool exclusively. Sorry if you can hear the puppy banging around in the background. We had to put, we had to put Rusty in puppy jail because he was eating the couch while we tried yeah. to record. But he's yeah, cute, and so it's me. okay. He's eating me, too. A little bit. A little yeah. bit. But um, so you got your class one bikes, and then you have class two bikes, which are like the class one bike with some modifications to make it better for all-around riding. Mm-hmm. And then you have class three bikes, which are kind of interesting, which are basically trail bikes um, that yeah. you could argue are yeah. cross-country bikes. Or critical distinction for us here that are marketed as cross-country bikes we don't think that all of the class three bikes that we're going to talk about are actually cross-country bikes but they're at least marketed to some extent as um as a cross-country bike fair enough
1: and before we go into this too i do i do like the lines we've drawn i i do agree with them mm-hmm. um but as a rider i would say more now than ever there's kind of a spectrum of bikes yeah no all all bikes are pretty similar um, but the first item of business for you as a purchaser would be to decide what you want your bike to do.
0: Yeah, because that's where people um, always get stuck. They're like, what bike should I buy? And I'm like, exactly. I don't know, how do you ride? Exactly. Like, Are you are you like, like we, we call it like Tate Larkin. Like yes. just racer, 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 race, race, race. Everything is about going as fast as possible on race day. Or are you like most Nike dads where you aren't racing, but you're riding with kids on cross country bikes who really, like you need a bike that's fast but you don't need a race bike. And there might be a degree of versatility that you want to get out of a bike that you're not going to get out of, like the raciest epic that you can go by, right? Yes. So how would you say, Andrew, in the bike shop, when most people come in, or I'll say like in my experience, I always kind of believed when I was working for Backcountry, selling high-end bikes to people, Mm -hmm. I kind of believe that, like, most people hitting me up for mountain bikes probably should have been riding cross-country bikes, but very few of them were asking for cross-country bikes. Is that fair?
1: That has been a trend that I noticed when I very first started in the bike industry that has been getting better It's been getting better, but... I... As someone who's coached a lot of Nike teams and private teams, I see... A lot of young racers walk into a bike shop and be sold a bike that can do, quote unquote, everything. A bike
0: that does everything, right? Yes. Because as long as it's not an, like, a true downhill bike, you can climb any hill on any bike, right?
1: Yes. And yes. that's why so
0: many people walk into a shop you know, and say, hey, I'm going to get into mountain biking and I'm going to do Nika and then someone sells them a Nomad. Yes right or like it an SB150 yes right and it's true it can go up hills and it can go down hills oh it can go down it can hills, go down yeah. hills that a cross country bike really kind of can't so like it is more more versatile mm-hmm. right but that like does that bug you as much as it bugs me like yes. that trend that tendency yes. for bike people to do that
1: and i think too is more people have kind of gotten into biking and bought their bike in 2020 right. um during covid and they right. were sold that all mountain bike they're kind of realizing Ooh. This bike can go uphill, but...
0: But not it's, very well.
1: And I can't really hit this bike's full potential on the downhill. And right. There is definitely a trend towards... I would say the average rider should probably be looking at a bike that we'd label as a cross-country bike.
0: And not only that, I kind of think that they should be looking at a bike that we would call a Class 2 cross-country bike. And that's... Yeah. I totally wanted to save that for later in the episode, but, like, when we were looking at it, like, these these Class 3 bikes that we're talking about, right, like... I don't think that most people, like 95% of mountain bikers, really have the skill to get enough out of that. that. Do you think I'm being too harsh there?
1: No, I honestly, as someone who has been riding a bike for the majority of the time I've been able to walk, I personally can't really... I can't justify a bike with more than 130 millimeters of travel. So let
0: me say something. And I promise this is the only time you'll ever hear me compliment Andrew because I think he's an egomaniac. Yes, Um, Andrew's an extremely good bike rider. Like, he really does have my respect as a bike rider. His judgment's poor. Yes. And you're going to die in a hideous accident someday. But you're a very good bike rider. And, like, just to repeat, you don't really think you could get much or you could really justify a bike with 140 150 160 70 80 no, yeah. miles of travel like a lot of people are riding right because yes. how many times do you go to corner canyon or even pcmr and see that like the average person is on a bike with like 150 miles of travel
1: yeah like, that's not i don't you think don't. that's a mischaracterization yeah. of reality like they're
0: see. everybody's riding bikes where they're just so outgunned for everything right like yes. they have they're 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 shown up to a knife fight with like a knife fight with a tank. Right? Yes, yes. And it's like, you'd think that'd be fun. I actually think that is less fun. I kind of think, I think I would rather underbike than overbike, but that maybe puts me in the minority.
1: Yeah, yeah. i and transitioning into more specifics and more where those lines are drawn. Um, little background, I have recently sold my Cannondale scalpel.
0: Okay. That Pre- I was previous gen. So like
1: previous generation. 70 yes.
0: degree head tube angle, all out cross country bike.
1: Yes. And riding that bike, I raced national level races frequently. Um, that bike was perfect for probably 90% of the riding I do still.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, I, I just purchased another bike that is going to be a little better for...
0: Hold off on telling about that bike yes. really quick. I, will, I want you to will, run over, because yes. that bike is really interesting and it informs today's discussion. Yes. Um, run over the trail locations around here where you were outgunned on your scalpel.
1: So, the trail locations where I was outgunned on my scalpel generally aren't even rideable until July or so.
0: So, we're talking like Honeycomb Canyon?
1: Honeycomb Canyon, I was very outgunned on my scalpel. Okay. Silver Fort Canyon, I was outgunned on my scalpel. Okay. Um,
0: what, what at PCMR were you outgunned on?
1: I mean, my current bike's a little better on Moose House.
0: But you could you could still do Moose House. Could you do Moose House comfortably on the scalpel?
1: Yeah, with a dropper post, yeah. So
0: with a dropper, and you had an 80-mil dropper on there too, I should say. Yes. 80-mil dropper on your scalpel. Granted, you're a very good rider. I don't think most riders are going to be this way. But um, pretty much anything at PCMAR, I guess Deer Valley. Like, yeah. what at Deer Valley would you struggle on the scalpel?
1: I did every trail at Deer Valley.
0: Okay.
1: I'll, any part of Fire Swamp any part of NCS, any, any of the above and cleaned everything on my scalpel, but there were a few trails. NCS. I wish I had like 10 more millimeters Okay. in the chunky parts. Um, right. But other than that, really anything mainstream, I mean, something to keep in mind is the average cross country world cup course takes place on ski resorts where the trails they do are considered downhill, yeah. black diamond Runs. That's true.
0: Like we should say, very few people could actually get their bike around a cross country World Cup course,
1: even like a nomad or yeah. something huge.
0: Yeah, like you, you have to be a, a a a darn fine rider to be able to get around one of those. Yes. Um, yes, and and to reiterate what I mean, there, like nothing else in the valley or in the Wasatch back even really was was overkill for your scalpel, right?
1: I uh, an interesting quote, um, Drew Free, one of our coaches and yes. long time local semi-professionals and professionals. Yeah. Um,
0: absolute legend.
1: Absolute legend. He, uh, he told me that um, he doesn't think that anyone needs anything more than 130 millimeters on their bike north okay. of I-70.
0: North of i Oh. So, I will push back against that. Mm-hmm. There are a handful of people who do. There but are are the, rare. I know. There of- are the Bryn Binghams and the Dawson Fongers of the world yes. who really can get the most out of... Out of a downhill bike, I know four
1: of them, and two of them are Bryn Bingham and Dawson Fonger. Right,
0: right. No, they're out there. Like, I I know guys like that. You know, um, if you want to KOM Jacob's Ladder right now, you probably need 150 mils of travel. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but, 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 like, to reiterate, like, the vast majority of people Mm -hmm. really don't need that. And if you think you are, you're wrong. Like, if you, if, 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 I don't know. Just yeah. like statistically, everyone thinks they're the exception to the rule. It's it's just just so few riders, and it's not that it's bad. It's just you're not going to get the most out of that bike, and you're going to be stuck with all the downsides of a bigger bike. You know. Um, so with that in mind, we we split cross country bikes into three different categories. We we call them class one, class two, and class three. And I think this I like this distinction more than cross country or downhill. And a lot of brands will even say, "Here's the XC build, here's the TR build, or the the trail build, or the LT build, or whatever." Yeah. Um, and what we kind of found is depending on the brand, some brands' LT trail gnarly build was really more conservative and more uh, cross country oriented than a lot of brands' pure XC offerings. So, we, we, this is kind of, we hope it's more objective. And like Andrew said, I think all bikes exist on what I like to call the speedy sendy spectrum, right? Where, like, on one end, you have like a 2015 S Works Epic that had a 72 degree head tube angle and 100 mils of travel and 700 mil bars and on the other end you've got a santa cruz v10 right like a, a true like downhill bike and then even within cross country like i can tell you the bounds of our discussion today on one end is the new specialized epic world cup and on the other is this the yeti sb120
1: uh preemptively we are just discussing full suspensions today
0: oh yeah we should note hardtails or hardtails
1: hardtails are hard like i mean there there is a hardtail spectrum Right. Your Santa Cruz Chameleon is not your Cervelo ZHT5. But I
0: think the, the hardtails that are marketed as cross-country race bikes are so similar. Like, yeah. buy whichever one's the best deal. Buy whichever one weighs the least. I mean, like, the there prettiest. is a geometry difference between them. Like, some are getting slacker than others. Mm-hmm. You know, decide how slack you want your hardtail to be and buy it. Yeah. It's not It's not complicated. It's, um, yeah. So we're leaving hardtails out of the discussion. <laughs> But, I mean, like, would you, well, I don't know, would you say, are there hardtails that are sendier than some full suspensions within the cross-country, talking cross-country marketed World Cup hardtails that are sendier than some cross-country marketed World Cup full suspensions?
1: You know, I would argue that.
0: Like, which ones? Because I'm having, I I want to say that's probably true, but then I'm kind of having a hard time really, like, what's the the slackest of the World Cup marketed cross-country bikes? That would
1: probably be the Scalpel HT.
0: Yeah, probably has. Huh? So Scalpel HT...
1: And I would... If I were to have to pick between that and something like the more commonly seen Niner, Niner Jet... Rocket, you mean? Rocket. My bad. That... They all look the same. Even
0: still, I bet the rocket's still faster downhill. That's tough. It's probably... But I don't know. And we should say really quick that like the way we just determine this isn't just travel. Because Andrew and I both agree... Geometry is more important than travel. Yes. Is that right? Like, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm characterizing your opinion correctly. Yes. Why do you think that's the case?
1: So, if you want to discuss how sandy a bike is, of course, there are multiple things to consider. Um, when descending, obviously, travel is huge. A bike with 20 millimeters of travel is a gravel bike that will right. be able to handle most pebbles and most bumps on the road. Yeah.
0: Feel better going off a curb, but, like, exactly. not much more than that. Exactly.
1: Beyond that, a lot of descending is your cornering, it is how low your bike is to the ground, yep. it is how long your bike feels, how stable it is at a high speed. Right. Um, there is kind of a point where travel mostly influences how big of a hit you can do. Right. So, we will talk more about my bike, but my bike, I'm personally not a rider who does super big jumps or super big drops so right. I'm not too gravity oriented right but i'm still a writer who does some really hard charging and some very rocky and technical some, stuff
0: some steep stuff to very the extent that stuff. we have it in utah yeah
1: very like the steepest stuff i can find
0: so really quick and introduce us to your bike because it's, it's a very unorthodox choice
1: it would generally be considered stupid yes yes um I'm currently riding the older generation of Santa Cruz Tallboy.
0: No, the the older, older, so a V3 Tallboy. Version 3. We're
1: currently on version 5. So
0: think a Tallboy that looks a little more like a blur. Because the new Tallboys kind of look, they have like the shocks mounted really low down by the bottom bracket. Mm -hmm. Yours is of the older generation where the shock was mounted uh, underneath the top tube. Yes. So talk to me about your bike a little bit.
1: My bike was in 2018 and 2019. Okay. Marketed as a technically a trail bike.
0: It they marketed as a trail. It was never marketed as a cross country bike. And
1: in the 2018 and 2019 market, which isn't too long ago. No, I still remember it. Yeah, it was a trail bike. Yeah, I mean, next to its competitors, it was a trail right. bike. It
0: had 120 mils out back.
1: 110 out back.
0: 110 mils out back and 120 up front,
1: which sounds pretty comparable which, to a lot which of bikes, cr- which is cross country bikes this these days. Yeah, exactly. Down country. Right. right, right, right. Um. With that bike, the reasons I chose it are it has an exceptionally low bottom bracket. Yes, which I like. Why? Really quick,
0: explain. Because people usually talk about geometry, and I'm I'm like guilty of this. Like, head tube angle is geometry, but that's not the whole story, right? Like, talk yes. talk about bottom bracket height and why that matters.
1: Bottom bracket height largely affects stability on a bike. Okay. Bottom bracket, the bottom bracket, if you have good form, is where all of the weight in your body just about should be. Right. So if your bottom bracket is low your bike will compare more to, let's say, a very low car where the right center of mass so is So Dan always
0: says Formula One versus a double-decker bus. Exactly. Like Formula One cars going around a corner better, the, the center of mass is, is lower. It's, yeah. not, it's not rolling over. It's not. It's stable, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And that is relative to the hubs on your wheels, where you're standing. So if you're below the hubs on your wheels, it is similar to riding a hoverboard, which right. is how you're super stable you are lower to the ground, more likely to hit a rock. Right, like, another... It's
0: it's one of those things where you can't just go as low as possible because your cranks are going to hit the ground. Right, exactly. You have to have enough clearance where you're riding in Moab or St. George on Zen trying to hop up over a shelf that you're not striking mm-hmm. your pedals all the time. So it is a delicate balance to strike.
1: On top of that, other Pun things... Pun not intended. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Other things to consider too would be wheelbase. Yep. Um, a longer wheelbase would be comparable to, say, a longer ski. Right. At a higher speed, you will be able to more charge o- over yeah. bigger stuff with more stability. But at the same time, if you were to go around a very tight switchback, you will very frequently find that your bike is longer than the switchback.
0: Right. Many of you have heard, If you like, a, a common question is, what size of bike should I get? Yes. Because a lot, like for me, I'm always between, on a road bike, I'm between a 54, 56. and a mountain <laughs> bike, I'm between a medium and a large. And I always tell people, like, you have the benefit of being able to choose. You can have a bike with a longer wheelbase that's going to feel more stable when you're hard charging in a straight line. But if you're going around a tight switchback, you're going to want that shorter wheelbase. And mm-hmm. I usually err on the side of the shorter wheelbase because I and like my bike to feel better. Me
1: too. Yeah. yeah. And you've honestly pretty commonly see that on a World Cup circuit. Yes. World Cup style riders are more likely to want to move their bike instead of have their bike move them.
0: Yes. Professional riders usually err on the smaller side. Is but what I found on usually. the
1: flip side of that, if you're a rider who wants your bike to do a lot of the work and your bike to charge, right. I would lean on the bigger side. For example, myself, I'm between most brands would put me at a point where a large and an extra large are both the right answer. Right. You could ride either comfortably. Um, A trail bike, I'd probably get an extra large. Cross-country bike, I'd get a large. There you go. For my riding styles.
0: There you go. There you go. So Um, your bike right now you think is just a really good mix of just slack enough, just low enough, just long enough for the kind of riding that you do. Exactly. Okay.
1: Exactly. And I think that nowadays we're in a very interesting market where you really can pick exactly what you want to do and find the exact bike for it.
0: Because that's something I was going to say is like, uh, that's another thing I was tell people is that most bikes are fine. Most bikes oh, yeah. are at least fine. Even the bikes that we would like put at the bottom of the list of bikes that we'd buy are still fine bicycles. Oh, like, excellent. There yeah. was a time where like there were bad bikes. I don't really think that there are like bad bikes out there right now. I think there are bikes that are bad for the money relative to other bikes you could have bought. And I think there are bikes that ride better or worse, but like pretty much anyone could sponsor me and I'd ride their bike. Yeah. Right. Like it, yeah, it's I, I not, I can make it work. Yeah. That said, I don't want the like, you shouldn't be ambivalent about what bike you ride. You should do a ton of research. Cause it also bugs me when people just go to the first bike shop they think of and buy the second or third bike that they're shown. Like, mm-hmm. I think you should do some research. Yes. Um, and you doing the research there, that's a really unorthodox choice, Andrew, because when you bought that bike, it was two generations old. Yeah. Yeah. And Grant, you bought it, you bought a new frame set basically, right? Or like a lightly used frame set. Yes. Because you did the research and found that that bike, they don't really make the exact bike that you want now, but they used to. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Cause that bike now really would be considered a cross country bike.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. absolute down country. Yeah. Which is the
0: problem. Like that, like cards on the table, that tall boy did not sell well for us. I was selling that bike new to people and I, I, I thought it was a decent bike, but the problem is Santa Cruz marketed it as a trail bike. At a time when if you'd market that, if you had tried to market your bike as a cross-country bike when it came out, people would have said you're nuts, right? Like mm-hmm. that bike was way ahead of its time in some ways and I think they just kind of missed the marketing um, where it didn't sell well as a trail bike because it was too short. It is, It really is a cross-country bike, mm-hmm. right? Um, where do you think in our class one, class two, class three system does your bike fall?
1: Like I said, our system is lines on a spectrum. Right. And there are bikes that are perfectly a class two and there's lines that are kind of and then there's bikes where it's like
0: oh this is either the 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 gnarliest class two bike or the fastest class three bike right the
1: the way that i use my bike and the way i've built it up i've kind of built it up to be an upper class two okay not quite edging class three okay but i would still put it in the class two
0: okay so really quick, you, like your bike, we weighed it the other day, it's 26 pounds. Yes. You've got uh, carbon wheels with like a 25 mil internal rim mm-hmm. because that bike will only clear up to a 2.4 anyway. Yeah. Um, you're running uh, XTR with rotor stuff, super light. You do have a pike on it, but mm-hmm. you've damped it down to 120. Correct. Thoughts on that really quick.
1: The reason I did that was for stiffness. Okay. Um,
0: and, and I should say that the pike it, if, is, like a, is, is a trail product. Right, like it's, it's usually not a product you find on a cross country bike it basically has uh, larger stanchions and a more, more complicated internals That pri- where it's like a product that prioritizes performance over weight where most cross country bikes would have like a SID or like a Fox 32 or 34 you're dealing with um, a Pike which you said was like the stiffness of the, the, the wider stanchions the front end stiffness is worthwhile to you even though you're gaining a little bit of weight right Correct. because your bike like you you race occasionally but for the most part these days you're you're just doing big epic backcountry rides with insane climbing and insane descending and you've kind of decided that bike's a good middle ground
1: yeah so I mean this is kind of hopefully what we're gonna go into today is as a rider um, finding the right bike for you as a rider um, for me that was a bike that was of course very light right and very manageable right. On very steep and long climbs because
0: needlessly heavy bikes suck uphill and down,
1: yeah, I mean down they're better yeah but of course it's, yeah. It's less, it 's less i mean it, um, it,
0: but it still impacts you down downhill, right like if you're, if oh, you're yeah. like a forty pound bike like like riding an e bike downhill isn 't as fun as riding a normal bike downhill yeah,
1: yeah, and I mean for me that 's a bike that i mean i could I could charge harder on a slightly bigger bike, yeah, put me on something like a high tower that 's probably the max bike I could ever use.
0: Yeah, or that you, um, you could really like get the most out of.
1: Yeah, I've taken a day out on a mega tower, and there's people that need a mega tower, and but as someone who's been riding bikes as long as I have, I still don't feel the there's need. There's very to ride few a mega people tower.
0: Who really need a mega tower, which exactly. is like um, what 180 mils.
1: It like one, I think it was like 160 or Is it so? 160
0: up back and then up to 180 up front or it's something just, like it's that? It's big. It's a big old monster it's truck. It's a big
1: enduro bike, yeah. Yeah.
0: But, but basically, and the point Andrew and I think are going to try to make here is that the, the way to shop for a bike is to really decide what class of bike you need, class one, class two, class three. And then within that, and I'm going to publish something later, like a resource to kind of walk you through it. And I'll, I'll give like a numerical argument for why each bike belongs in each category. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, like once once you decide which class of bike you need, you can kind of be like, oh, well, these are all the options. I'm going to get whichever one I can get at a good deal. Or that, like, a local shop carries or something. Yeah. Um, and the way that we've decided to class different bikes is by looking at how much travel it has, because that still matters. Most importantly, what geometry it has. And then the other, the third factor that we want to consider is suspension design. So, yes. my current bicycle is the, uh, is the uh, Specialized Epic Evo. Um... That has 115 mils of travel out back and it should have 120 up front i'm currently running it at 100 up front this is kind of an experiment it i'll probably go to 120 before too long i need you to i need to have you do that for me andrew but um, um that bike with 115 mils of travel out back and 120 up front is is super slack like it's it's really slack on top of having the 120 mil fork up front we still don't want to call it a Class 3 bike, even though a Class 3 bike... Like, there are probably bikes out there with those travel and geometry numbers that I would consider to be Class 3. But with the Epic, you have the most simple suspension design. Like, it's we, we call it single pivot, right? Yes. Really, really simple suspension design, emphasized for kind of cross-country bikes because it's light and simple, right? Where another bike, like something from Yeti or Pivot or Santa Cruz that has Switch Infinity or DW Link or VPP, it has a more sophisticated suspension system that's more emphasizes feel and 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 descending a little more like that same bike with the same travel and geometry numbers with a different suspension system could bump up a whole class in my mind so that's something else that we that we consider um uh, running through all those andrew travel geometry and then um suspension system like how would you weight those in determining you know on the on the speedy sandy spectrum where a bike falls
1: so, if we're talking speedy, sandy spectrum, of course there's things we have to consider. For example, um, Evil makes a gravel bike with a sixty-six point six. Very funny of them. Degree head tube angle. Right. Um, if we're just talking geometry, that is a class three bike, just about. Yeah. Even though it doesn't have suspension. Right. Um, so,
0: geometry isn't everything.
1: Geometry isn't everything, but I would still generally rank it and suspension design as my two top factors
0: so let me ask you a hypothetical then if i have a bike that has uh like a hypothetical yeti has switch infinity suspension and a 65 degree head tube angle but only 100 mils of travel front and back that could still be a class 3 bike for you
1: it would be a class 2
0: Okay. See so, see this is so we kind of have to yeah, take the amalgamation of the three and be like and and of course that bike doesn't exist because it wouldn't work very well for anyone. But yes. we weigh I think we probably weigh geometry the most. I'd say so. And then maybe travel and suspension design are about the same.
1: And I am not not really trying to be contrarian, but I really do believe that travel isn't everything. I would honestly put suspension design over travel.
0: Okay. No, that's a, fair. I could see that argument.
1: A high-pivot or Switch Infinity bike right. with 115 or 120 millimeters of travel will feel pretty similar to a pretty basic design with 140 or so.
0: Or will be, like, similarly capable. Exactly. Right? I should also throw out... Um, like if you go back ten or fifteen years ago, you could buy a bike with one hundred and fifty mils of travel that had like a seventy-one degree head tube angle, yes. right? So in, in in trying to decide like what bike fits where, Andrew made a really good point where he's like, well, there's a Cannondale from two thousand and one that you gave me. What, what was which which one was that? It was
1: a Cannondale Profit, I think.
0: Yeah, and what was the how much suspension did it? Have? It was like it, it was a, it was like a downhill bike. Yeah, it was, it was like basically a downhill bike that yeah. had geometry the geometry of a cross country bike from like twenty fifteen, yeah. right? And that's just how it went back then. So I really do think travel, I actually, I, th- I think I'm ready to agree with you on that. I think travel is, of the three, is the least informative mm-hmm. in terms of deciding, like, what kind of bike it is, which is a bummer, because that's kind of the shorthand that we use to decide what kind of a bike yeah. you're dealing with, right? In the
1: market in general, you, you categorize your bike by the amount of travel. Amount of travel have. No. exactly.
0: It's very interesting. So... Um, like I said, we're, I'm working on a resource right now that will break down all of the bikes that you could, all the full suspension cross country, big parentheses, bikes that you could, you could go out and buy, but I want to run through the categories really quick. And for class one bikes, Andrew and I spent the most time on this list because it was the most interesting. And I'm going to run over bikes that are either in their current or previous generation. I don't want to go back two generations because that's just too many bikes. Um, but and, and Miles Baker, I know you're listening to this. I know we'll forget something, okay? This is what Andrew and I came up with, brainstorming. <laughs> I love you, These Miles. are also not in order. So these are still a spectrum, right? Within the Class 1 bikes, there will be, like, I, I think the new Epic World Cup is the most Class 1-y full yeah, suspension that, that bike. Yeah, that and the
1: Super Caliber, probably. That or yeah. the Super
0: Caliber. And then on the other end, like, there are some bikes where we're like, you know, this is a Class 1 bike, but, like...
1: Example, we like were talking barely. about the SB120, is geometry and travel-wise base. It's pretty close to a Trail 429 from Pivot or the current generation Tallboy, right? which are both marketed as trail bikes. However, Yeti markets their SB120 as their premier cross-country bike, so we felt bad not including it.
0: So that was the interesting thing. Is Like, like Andrew said, basically, there are some bikes that, by the numbers, should fit into this category, but if the brand doesn't market it as a cross-country bike, we're not going to treat it like one. Um, and vice versa. Right, right, right. So, like, the SB120, I don't really think is a cross-country bike, it's, but it's Yeti talks bike. about cross-country in their marketing a bit, so mm-hmm. that is the extreme opposite end. On the far end of Class 3, you've got, we're saying, the the Yeti SB120. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, within Class 1, so I'm going to list these, not in order of where they fall within the Class 1 spectrum, right? So we're saying the Epic World Cup, the Supercaliber, the previous generation Spark that ended in 2021, the... Scalpel, any non-SE scalpel we feel comfortable putting in Class 1. The right? older
1: one even more so, the newer one yeah. closer to Class
0: 2. Yeah, the, the the most the most up-to-date cross-country build scalpel is like borderline Level 2. Mm-hmm. The old scalpel is like the most uh, Class 1 bike there is. Loved that thing. Um, a giant Anthem, pretty much any Giant Anthem. Mm,
1: the newer ones I would put closer to Class 2. Yeah,
0: the newer ones are flirting with Class 2. The older ones are like, like prime example Class 1 bikes. Yeah. Um, the Niner Rocket, yeah. I think all Niner Rockets really fit here, um, yeah. even the newer one, uh, the older one especially. Uh, the previous gen uh, Orbea Oise, not Oise TR. The Oise, previous Oise gen Oise, TR, Oise, Oise TR we put in a t- uh, uh, class two. Um, the previous generation Pivot Mach Four SL in the World Cup build we think falls in there. The current Lux CFR, pretty much any Canyon Lux that's not the Lux Trail. I I say Lux Trail goes in class 2 but it's kind of the border between it's like class yeah, 2 still barely uh, falling into the class 2 yeah. really i could i could see a compelling argument for it being a class 1 still yeah. but i think class 2 um cuz in like intentionality plays into this yeah, i think yeah marketing
1: you right, know we are going to consider some marketing right
0: right right um uh the intense sniper fro builds we think are are class 1 mm-hmm. um the norco revolver fs 100 Oh yeah, uh, and the the previous generation BMC four stroke, um, non LT build. Yeah. So, I know we're forgetting bikes. Just like out of the gates, cards on the table. There, I know we're forgetting bikes, but that's where those fall. Uh, for class two bikes, we say the Epic Evo, any Epic Evo, I think, is a class oh, totally t- class two. Um, I will say, my bike is a class one. My Epic Evo is, I think, with a hundred mil fork. I, I, you could argue it's class one. It's on the border. It's yeah. on the border. Um, we'd also say the Scott spark current gen Scott spark, 120 mils out front and out back with that head tube angle. Even RC. Yeah. Even the RC builds.
1: RC is closer to class one.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, the spark is, is, a, is a, is a class two bike.
1: The spark is an interesting bike because I yeah. think they've definitely tried to display all three classes where you have yeah. the regular spark. Yep, without anything attached to it. Yeah, um, that can come with a Rockshox Pike like my bike. Yep, um, and then you've got the Spark World Cup, which is going to World Cups. So it is right, marketed. Which is, it's, Nino
0: just won Valdissol yeah. his 35th World Cup on one.
1: It's marketed as Class One for sure. But I numbers wise, I'd put it. It's borderline, but it's still Class Two. I for wanted me. to
0: put it in Class One because it's like the definitive cross country bike right now. But like, there's not a numbers argument yeah. for it.
1: And then you know, you've got the Spark ST that's also up there with the SB120 that's pretty...
0: It's like, is this really a cross-country bike anymore? It's,
1: it, they have a good spectrum. Yeah. Right.
0: So so when we say Spark, huge asterisk there, because lots of different bikes are called Scott Sparks, Sparks right now. The new Orbea Oise, the 120 mil version, we, yes. we feel comfortable. That's a great... That's like the definitive Class 2. Yeah. It's a pretty good prototype. Um, the Blur was the trickiest one. We think both the previous and current generation of Blur fall into Category 2. So we could do a whole episode on this asterisk, huge asterisk there. You could argue that either of those bikes also fall into category one. I think they're closer to category one on the spectrum.
1: They're in two though. They're in two,
0: two, but I think barely Um, both of them for different reasons because the last one had a more complex suspension design, but maybe slightly more conservative geometry. So like depending on how we weigh different things, those could fall elsewhere. But we're like I'm, I'm. I feel like I'm covering my butt way too much on all of these. Um, or but do we just hey. know Miles Baker's gonna give us. crap? Oh, I know Miles Baker's gonna give us crap, but it's okay. <laughs> I, I respect his opinion. He's smarter than um, us. The any Mach 4 SL cross country build. Um, they have the they have World Cup and XC. The new Mach 4 SL is even sendier than the old one. But any of those, I think, fall into cat to, into a uh, class two. Um. Uh. The Yeti SB 100. Technically, this bike depending on how you count, could be up to three generations old. If you count the SB-115 and 120 as replacements for it, I think those are totally different bikes. Yeah. You can still get SB-100s out there. People are still riding them. Great bike. Sweet. Class 2 bike. Yeah, Class 2 bike. Um, any scalpel SE, current or former, we decided?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I
0: think the old scalpel SEs maybe... The
1: old scalpel SEs, like...
0: It, like I, I think the old SE, you could maybe argue, is still one because of the geometry. I think the geometry on the old on the old Scalpel SE SC might actually make it a class one. Yeah, but the new the new ones are definitely class two. Uh, Rocky Mountain the old previous generation Rocky Mountain Element, um, which was kind of one of the first down country bikes I would say is class two. Um, uh, I would throw out the previous gen Top Fuel, another definitive class two bike. Ibis XC, the Lux TR we've already discussed. Uh, YT Izzo Uncaged. A bike that I've kind of been an evangelist for because it's such a good deal. I think that's class two. Allied's BC40, I think, falls into class two. Um, uh, your uh, Santa Cruz Tallboy, the V3, we've decided your bike is a is a class two bike. I yeah. think
1: it kind of marks a border. Yeah, between two and three.
0: Yours kind of floats closer to the three, but I think it still falls into two. The Kona Hey Hey, current and previous gen, um, uh, and the Transition Spur. I would put in class two,
1: but it also hovers towards three.
0: But it is definitively in two. Yes, I think you yes. could build it to be a three, but oh, I totally. think I think really it's a it's a two. Three, there's the fewest. Um, these bikes are tricky. So we've already talked about the Yeti SB 120, which I think only belongs in here because Yeti calls it a cross country bike and markets it as one. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Kabush rides one. Excellent bike. I have no bad things to say about it, but I just I really think we've got to the point where it's not a cross country bike anymore. It's, I would
1: I would be deciding between it. And current Tallboy yeah. and other trail bikes.
0: Exactly. is Yeah. Um, uh, but we'd say the, the Yeti SB115, yes. I do think, falls into Class 3. Mm-hmm. Um, the normal YT Izzo, yeah. um, marketed somewhat as a cross-country bike. I would say that's um, that's a Class 3. Um, Nuke Proof Reactor ST, kind of a left-field option. But that is another one that like they basically take their trail bike and they try to make a cross-country version of it with the mm-hmm. ST build. I would say that. And then, of course, there are some Scott Spark builds.
1: Oh, the STs are absolutely... The STs float towards the SB120.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, those do fall in there, too. So, it's crazy. There's basically... You could find a version... You could find a bike called a Scott Spark that fits in all three classes. Uh, Yeah. Interesting. Kind of cool. So, those being out there... And and don't worry. Don't panic. I am going to make a written resource that lays all of those out with the numbers and everything. Mm -hmm. But really quick, I want to run over with you, Andrew... Um, who's who's right for the class one bike, who's right for the class two bike, who's right for the class three bike. So if you're listening, we want to give our thoughts on where you should fall. So let's start with class one. Who is class one for?
1: So again, this is a spectrum. Right. There's different riders within each class. I mean, you right. could call, call it as many classes as you want. Right. There could be 10 um, classes.
0: We're going to do three for simplicity's sake.
1: Generally, you see, you're the most likely to see our class one bikes at a World Cup. Right. They are the... Usually the shortest travel, yep. steepest geometry.
0: Varsity podiums.
1: Exactly. Yep. They are extremely throwable yep. and extremely precise, but they do require a very talented rider to yep. get the most out of them.
0: Yep. Um, yep. These are bikes like like the new Epic World Cup. A normal rider is going to have a hard time on a technical Deer Valley Trail on that bike. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's really getting pretty close to a hardtail, mm-hmm. right? It's not. But, I think it's a brilliant bike, but...
1: Yeah, there are definitely riders out there. I'd argue that I have been here where marginal gains like that are huge. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's who this rider's for. This rider's for, or this type of rider, for them, every little bit counts. Yep, every ounce counts. Um, these bikes, I generally wouldn't care too much about getting a budget build for. Yeah, these are.
0: That's a really good point. If you if you're on a budget, class one bikes, I don't think are for you.
1: Yeah, they're probably the least versatility out of any one of these categories yeah
0: and i should also say if if you're if you're listening to this and you're a team parent who has money and you're gonna have multiple bikes i think there's an amazing argument for having a class one bike and a class three bike oh yeah i think so like depending on who you are this could all still change yes i think generally i'm kind of skeptical of like entry level class one style bikes but i guess the argument could be made too that if they're substantially lighter then the class two or class three bike that's at the same price, you could argue that too. So I don't know. And if you get
1: a really good deal, you get a really good deal. Depends
0: on who you are as with yeah. anything else. Class two bike. This captures the most rider. I think most of us are class two. I, yeah. would, I would call myself class two. I race sometimes. I, I really like to ride fast. I'm not interested in riding anything so I won't ride Honeycomb Canyon with you. That's, it's a bit too much. Like the upper parts of little cottonwood are too much for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I am still riding, you know, somewhat technical trails. I want to go fast everywhere. I think that's the, I think most people listening to this look for a a class two bike. Mm -hmm. Would you think that, do you think it's fair? Like how do you, how would you, how would you class this?
1: I think that most brands are currently marketing towards a class two rider. Yeah. I think that most riders, I mean, I personally love being contrarian, but even I spend 95% of my time in class two.
0: Yep. You're riding Corner Canyon, man.
1: Exactly. Riding PCMR. Exactly. Like every once in a while I'll do some big stupid ride where I'm going up towards class three and yeah. Forest trail bikes, but it, it happens.
0: Yeah, because, um, I mean, in a perfect world, like, for riding shoreline, I think a class one bike is ideal. There's nothing on shoreline.
1: Dude, I, I ride a cross bike. I ride a gravel bike on shoreline. Right, that calls it's... for,
0: I mean, maybe bobsled. Yeah. Right, but, like, like I would, if I had money, I would have a class one bike and a class three bike, I think. Mm-hmm. If I had a ton of money, I might have all three, right? But I think for most of us, we're, we're kind of these class you two riders.
1: that middle that kind of does both, or yeah, all three. I think...
0: Most Nika moms and dads should be riding a class two bike. Most people. Most people. Yeah, really, truly. Because, like you said, like we're, we we were kind of talking smack on on like you know people riding 180 mil travel bikes in Nika. I think normal people who don't race, it's kind of silly to ride an Epic World Cup. Oh, absolutely. You know, I don't it's, think that really just, serves your needs best. It's a stupid I think bike to buy. I think it's better. Thing? I think it's better than a Nomad for what you're going to be doing. Um, mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I think I think most of us find. And what that really usually means is take the cross-country chassis, put a 120 fork on it, some slightly gnarlier tires, maybe a slightly wider bar, you know, like... And
1: if you want to talk trails, Class 2 is going to be perfect for your PCMR, your Wasatch Crest, your Solitude, yep. your Snowbird, yep. your Heber, some parts of Shoreline that are gnarlier, Corner Canyon... And your you should Corner say, Canyon. are there
0: parts of the Crest and even parts of Corner Canyon that would be better on a class three bike yes but they're are about they most 5%. of what you're riding no really yeah. what yeah. most of us are riding corner canyon and shoreline yeah. you should buy a bike that suits that best you should buy a bike that's capable of doing that bigger stuff but like oh yeah my nice. epic very much is yeah you know you don't like don't let a shop guy talk you into thinking that you need 150 mils of travel for the one time you ride you know like uh, uh, the, whatever. Yeah. Like, um, you you know, were like even trips down to Moab cross country bikes do fine in Moab. Yeah. There's a couple know? trails where you, there's a couple trails go. where, but remember if you only have money for one bike, buy the bike that suits most of your needs. So this is the most interesting one. Who are cat three bikes for or no, class three bikes? We should say that's less confusing. Class three bikes.
1: Class three bikes are an interesting one. We've kind of discussed that they're generally, instead of a cross country bike that has been ramped up for trail, they're yeah. trail bikes, bikes that, that have been, been ramped scaled down back for cross country. Right. For cross country, exactly. Right. Your class three bike is generally for an interesting balance of, I would argue they're very rarely racy. Yeah. Any class three bike if i was sponsored by a company that made a class three bike i would never choose it for a cross country race
0: no and we should say that like there's a difference in in the way that you climb in a cross country race versus a big epic all-day thing right if you're just sitting down and pedaling getting up a big hill weight is important right absolutely but if you're doing a cross country race i think having the right geometry is important too so it's chuckable it's maneuverable in a group Mm -hmm. and stuff like that yeah class three bikes aren't going to be that
1: and again these aren't all mountain bikes these aren't no. They're technically not even trail bikes. They There's, can they can yeah. do a cross-country race without a yeah, problem.
0: they can handle it. So if you're like Nike Dad, who does a midweek or two a year, or you want to do like 12 hours of Mesa Verde or whatever, yeah. Class 3 bike's going to be fine. But even if, if you're doing yeah. a midweek a week. Like yeah, it's... I mean, if if you're coming to us and saying, hey, this is my year, I'm going to spend 12 hours a week training, and I'm going to, you know, bike a, a coach and everything, and race results or everything, do not buy a Class 3 bike. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not for you. Exactly. Yeah, um, I would say, and like this is harsh to say, but like, I think you need to be a pretty good rider to justify one. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people who are buying these bikes really don't have the skills or like the confidence, like the will, you know. The Myself ri- you included. Know. Yeah, it's pretty. right. To really get the most out of them,
1: I'm currently riding a class two bike, as I would argue, a pretty experienced rider. Yeah. Um, the bike I currently ride, I do not feel like I can max out its potential. Yep. I can get close. I can do stupid things. Of course, anyone can do stupid things. But right. Um, your class three rider, you're generally looking at someone who's doing using their cross country bike for larger adventure rides. Yep. Um, going into the back country, high country, yeah. that kind of stuff, where you're just doing trails that are barely designed for a bike. Yep. Where you get a really interesting balance on a cross country bike between a bike that is light enough
0: to get, to get into get these crazy a places,
1: brutal hill. Yeah. A properly brutal hill. Yeah. Um. And at the same time, you want something that'll be able to get back down, something that you'd probably want to hike with your hands and your feet.
0: Right. Exactly. So... And if you're listening to this, and you know, I do think there's also another rider who's maybe a little more seasoned, which is a mm-hmm. nice way of saying older in the bike world, right? Yeah. If you're a slightly older rider who is who, who, who kind of needs some comfort and really needs like, you know, if your knees are bad, if your balance isn't as good as it, be, it used to be your vision or whatever, then I think there's also an argument for that class three bike, oh, absolutely. right? absolutely. That'll be a little more confidence inspiring. Now, again, you will be dealing with a heavier, mushier bike the rest of the time. I think people should minimize that. You don't want a heavy, mushy bike most of the time unless you need it. So, we should say there are reasons for needing that beyond, you know, feeling outgunned because you're riding the craziest trails in the world all the time. Yeah. Um, and of course, I want to say, and we say anytime we talk about bikes, the most important thing is that you're safe and you have fun. Like, yeah. Really, truly. But I also think if you're going to be spending thousands of dollars on these things, you should get the right one. Exactly. You know, and again, don't walk into the shop and buy the first bike they show you. Yeah. Do some research. Um, And and we will have a a, a published resource hopefully in the next few weeks to kind of help with this a little bit. But, um, Andrew, we're ticking up on the hour here. Are there any other thoughts that you have? Any other advice like you'd give to somebody who's who's in the market?
1: Um, Congrats to anyone who's made it this far. Yep. Um, I always feel that way. Isn't it crazy
0: people listen to these?
1: Yeah, I I apologize to anyone who's hearing me say this. Yeah. Um, And uh, with that, um, back to Hardtail's. Yes. I will say we coach a development cycling team. Yes. Where our goal is to take riders on some of their first mountain bike rides and take them to high-level UCI-sanctioned races. Yes. Um, A lot of these riders, I love seeing riders that are very excited to start. Yep. Um, And you've heard us talk about bikes that are, quote, confidence-inspiring. Yes. If you're a younger rider... Um, just getting into mountain biking. Yep. Confidence inspiring is nice for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, I will say the bikes we're discussing, the cheapest ones are usually four or
0: $5,000. Yes. And even that four or $5,000 bike these days is going to be creeping up on 30 pounds. Exactly.
1: By hardtail. So yeah, my, my girlfriend, um, lover to death has recently kind of been forced to get into mountain biking because she's in the Draper family now. Um, she is incredibly talented. She's a very good athlete and uh, still working on the descending. Yep. And I've gotten her on a very light hardtail. Yep. Um, we've recently partnered up with a local company called Jibe. Yep. Love their stuff. Very good stuff. Um, and we got her a bike out the door, I want to say 2500 or so. Yep. That is a pretty comparable weight to my bike that would MSRP be creeping up on the eight or $9,000 mark.
0: And like, and I, most adults aren't going to listen to me and buy a hardtail, but buy one for your kid. You yeah. Know? The success rate of people getting into this sport on big, heavy bikes is really low. Yeah. Like that, like showing up to your first practice on a 35 pound, 140 mil travel trail bike is associated with not going very far in this sport. Almost universally, unless your parents have a ton of money, the kids who are successful in this sport are showing up to their first ride on a hardtail or are getting a hardtail shortly after they start. Mm-hmm. Like we can't preach hardtails in, enough they in the draper so family for you.
1: in the draper family you have to graduate from a hardtail yes um those bikes are incredible for improving yep. your handling oh yeah and improving your ability to ride a more technical trail and for but, Nika, and for Nika, exactly yeah. like there's but, some Nika's
0: where full suspension is nice but,
1: but but i will say too um there are skills that you can learn on a hardtail and you can learn without a dropper post and you can even learn without clipless pedals yeah that you should still do even on a bigger bike yes that's even true. with clipless pedals even with a dropper post that's so it's true. kind of good to graduate from a technically outgunned bike mm-hmm. to a bike that is going to be a supplement to your skills instead of yeah. make up for skills you didn't learn
0: that's true and i should also throw out like we're talking about if you do have enough money for two bikes grabbing a hardtail in a cat in a class three bike, that'd be a good move too. Oh totally. You because know, like a lot of you if you're listening to this and it's like you know, you're you're coaching this team of kids who are really, really fast. Um, a hardtail is gonna be great for helping you keep up with them on the exactly. climb and stuff at PCMR. You know, if you've got a bunch of seventy pound kids, you know, just, just whistling up the climb at an unbelievable speed, but their handling skills aren't very good yet and you're, you know, like me, like an adult rider trying to keep up, hardtail is going to help a lot on the climbs and you'll be fine on the descents. Yeah. And then get that class three bike for when you go to mob a few times a year, you know, or if you want to hit the crest or something. And you exactly. still want something that's going to be able to climb. Exactly. Um, I'll also say like people who ride cross country bikes, ride bikes like cross country bikes. Like every time I've ridden an enduro bike or a trail bike, I'm like, I'm riding this like a cross country. Like, <laughs> I learned how to ride in a way that like, I'm going to have more fun on, on, a, on a shorter travel bike anyway. I think a lot of people like... You know, they go down that first crazy thing on their big 150 mil travel bike and it feels great, but then like go up that next climb, you know, it doesn't it's feel rough. good. It's really it, yeah. it feels squishy and unresponsive and uninspiring. Um, So, yeah, I, I guess the big takeaway here is figure out what kind of rider you are mm-hmm. and be honest. Be honest with yourself, you know. um, Don't like being a cat three rider is not cooler than being a cat one or two rider. You know, being Cat 1 rider is not cooler than being a Cat 1 or 2 or 3 rider. Dude, like, honestly,
1: being Cat 1 is kind of sick.
0: You know, the only people that can ignore this are people who just have enough money that it doesn't matter. Like, if you really have enough money that, like, six, seven, eight, ten grand means nothing to you, blow, blow me off. Buy whatever bike. Buy all three. If you're normal and, and like, that is a large amount of money to you, like, like please take the time, you know. Um, once you have decided what kind of rider you are, then come to Andrew and I and say, what bike should I buy? Because for me, it's always hard where it's like, I have a lot of good bikes, but I don't know enough about you. If you can give me an idea of like, I am that class three rider. Mm-hmm. What should I get? Or really, I'm a class one rider, man. Like, what should I get? in class two rider. And, and honestly, what it's going to come down to with me is like, what bike can you get? And what bike can you get for the best price? Yeah. And if you're super nerdy, we'll split hairs. Like Andrew yeah. and Miles Baker, now you could lock us in a room and we could have a vicious argument over a pivot mock 4SL versus an ibis X. Someone would die. Right, exactly. Most normal people, like, at th- that point, you're splitting hairs enough, you're going to be happy on any
1: bike. Yeah, you could. You I, I've very commonly told customers between, like, a pretty common example is we sell Santa Cruz Blurs and Orbea oases Yep. I tell them that you could flip a coin and be pretty stoked on the outcome.
0: Yep. Yeah, and, and like, you know what? If you're listening to this and you're riding a 2012 model year bike, anything's going to feel amazing, right? So like, um, don't sweat it too much. Like really the people that like, that like, re- like I sweat it, but I'm also a nerd. I like to sweat it. You know, like yeah, if, if if you're two, three years into the sport, you shouldn't be sweating Blur versus Pivot. You shouldn't be sweating Yeti versus YT. Like it's, it's small differences, mm-hmm. you know? So don't freak out too much about, about you know, I'm going to freak out more about which build you get. You know, and and what kind of value you're getting, like,
1: which is a whole other episode, like
0: we could say, like, like, I'll speak totally candidly here, like, we could split hairs over whether or not a Trek or a Canyon is a better bike, um, Mm -hmm. or a better frame set. But in the real world, the bike that you're going to be getting for your money is totally different. Mm -hmm. And that for me outweighs, like if you're getting XTR and carbon wheels versus GX and aluminum wheels. For the same price, I really don't care how yeah. good the suspension design is on the other bike. At that point, I'm like, dude, just get the better one.
1: Yeah. Carbon, carbon. That's another thing. Carbon wheels are huge. There's things yeah. like Bluetooth shifting that are cool. They yeah. make maintenance significantly easier. Yep. But, but like, carbon wheels are going to be a more noticeable difference. Yeah. So, yeah, so we'll, there's we'll, a lot of... Yeah. 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 But
0: like, when it comes to what platform you want to buy, it's not that important to question compared to other stuff, mm-hmm. but it is one that you should take seriously. Figure out what class of rider you are. um, You know, ask yourself some honest questions about who you are and what kind of rider you hope to be too, I guess, you know, aspiration plays into this, but I
1: don't want to buy a new bike every, but yeah,
0: don't, but yeah, don't really, I don't think you're buying bikes for your aspirations all that much anyway. So buy bikes for who you are. Is that fair? Yeah. All right.
1: I think we could have made that episode way shorter just by saying that.
0: Well, well, you know, yeah, like I said, uh, we're nerds. So I will try to have some kind of resource out for you guys before too long. I have my first day back at work tomorrow after two days off or two weeks off. So I won't be able to turn this around super quick, but I will have something in the near future for you guys to reference. Andrew, thank you very much for being here today. And uh, for all of you who uh, missed Dan already, he will be showing up back in salt lake around midnight so you will have him again next week but in the meantime ride safe send us your questions and uh, thanks as always for listening